When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! Welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. Today, our show is the absolute best because we're going to talk about confronting friends, PDA on public transport, declining a nightcap, how to manage your friendships, and visiting multiple friends in one trip. All that, plus a Postscript segment on Pokemon Go. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. Am I allowed to talk about this? I think so. I am? Okay. I hope so. I hope so, too. I had a really interesting discussion with a co-worker. I feel mm-hmm. like in the extended network that Dan and I work with, we, we might not have people in our physical office who are our co-workers, but I feel like we have this kind of network of people that we work with regularly who are co-workers. Which is not so uncommon these days. No, not at all. But it was about the idea that sometimes your good etiquette is all you can hope for in a situation. This co-worker was in a really difficult place. Sure. And at the end of the day, the advice that I finally had to talk with her about was just the idea that you know, the, the the problem that you're having with this friend and the fact that you want to end this friendship is going to hurt somebody. It just is. And sometimes the only thing you can do is hope to deliver that news or, or have that conversation, that ugly, difficult conversation with someone in a way that you are being as respectful and considerate and honest as possible. But it's just like a breakup. The outcome's just not going to be fun, and you can't expect the other person to really take it well. I mean, I know there are shows like, you know, The Bachelor and Bachelorette out there, and you watch people go, I'm just so happy for you, and all all this kind of, you know, maybe it's a little bit of BS, but I don't know. I'm sitting here nodding along, agreeing, and I'm thinking to myself, there must be a giant collective on nuts out there. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not some magic manners cure that's going to yeah. that's going to make every situation better or or even necessarily guarantee that you're going to have a good day or in positive reaction to what you're saying you can say things in the nicest most polite honest sincere way possible and the fact of the matter is it's still a difficult situation and the other person just might you've heard us say it before the other person just might not be ready to receive it in the same way that you're delivering it and so the good news is I think there's some really good news here, which is that etiquette can still do things for you. It can help you feel good about yourself no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. We, we talk about that framework of consideration, respect, and honesty. And I think that respect for yourself is a big part of really good manners, really good etiquette. Because 
days are going to be tough. And ultimately, if you can lay down at night and say to yourself, I feel good about who I am and how I've conducted myself, sometimes that's the best thing. That's the best you can hope for. Yeah. It was an interesting conversation. I'm curious to see how her situation's going to turn out um, in ending this friendship of hers. But I, I think over time, it'll be okay. Well, keep us appropriately posted. <laughs> Before we get on with our yeah, show, yeah, yeah. I think we need to warn our audience. Warn? Warn? Next week is it's kind a of a special week. And it it's going to be our 100th show. Woo-hoo! And as we're thinking ahead, we really want to include as many of your voices as possible in that show. So this is a call out to all of you. We would really love to hear your feedback. We want to hear what your favorite episodes were, your favorite questions, things that maybe you disagreed with us on, some of the most memorable moments that you've heard on this show. We want to know from you what you've loved and and experienced with us in the past hundred episodes. So please write into awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message on our answering machine, 802-866-0860. Any way that you want to tell us, we want to hear from you. With that said, shall we get to some questions? Let's do it. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Our first one is titled Lying Liars Lie. And I know it's not actually totally appropriate to the situation that's in the question, but I think I just got a little alliteration happy on this one. All right. Dear Awesome Etiquette family, I do feel like we're a family... I wanted to ask you for some sample language in this kind of a situation. Let's say friend A had told a lie about friend B to their friend group. It was a rude accusation that might cause questioning to friend B's loyalty. Okay. How should friend B react in such a situation? If neither wanting to come across as rude or making anyone uncomfortable, nor being thought of as a bad or disloyal person by others. Your sincerely falsely accused friend. So this is that situation where a friend has trash-talked you to mm-hmm. your group of friends, and do you engage in that and kind of set the record straight? Or because you weren't a part of the situation to begin with, but it's about, like, where where does, this is tough. Let's take two sides of this equation. Okay. And my first thought was that maybe you don't say anything to the friend that told the lie. That okay. depending on how connected you are to that person, this is a friend group, mm-hmm. you might say to yourself, okay, noted, that's friend A. And... Now I know how to deal with it. You might address the lie itself when it comes up with friends. Maybe friend B, who the lie was told to, you would clear up the situation, clear up any confusion. But maybe not, like, get accusatory towards friend A. Yeah. Okay, that's that's an option. That's one option, that you're not always obligated to confront every problem in the world. And it might be easier for you, personally, not to. And if you're not really invested in it, if it's not really doing you that much harm, Maybe you can say, you know, better off to leave it alone. Questioning her loyalty, though. If it's starting to impact you in a way that you feel like you have to address it. Then address what it. What is the sample script? Take the other side of the equation for us, cousin. <laughs> um, did anybody notice that Dan just totally served up a non-answer and then <laughs> asked me to answer this question? <laughs> I think it's a fair answer. No, I it's do. A va- no, I think you're right. You are valid on that. That, that. It is an option. But clearly she's writing into us. It's a problem. She's feeling like her loyalty is accused in this. So I'll take the cheeky accusation okay. that I didn't really answer with the good spirit it was in. Oh, okay, good. All right. So if you're going to address it, 
I think one of the problems is, is that people often will run to the separate people involved. So you might run to the let's call them the tattler Mm -hmm. in this situation, the person spreading the rumors, making the issue an issue. Um, You might go to them separately and you might go to the friend group separately. You might address them separately. Why did you tell them that lie about me? And then, hey, that thing you got told was a lie. You might do that. But sometimes I think that creates a lot more he said, she said, and and the the friend group and friend A who's telling this lie might get together and be like, oh, well, then she got all mad and did la 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 la. And it gets all like it gets all back conversation-y, which I mm-hmm. think isn't always the best idea. I might say, hey, guys, clearly something was said about me and I'd like a chance to address it with all of you at the same time, because I think that's just a good way to clear the air and get us all on the same page. Conversations between people should be private, but guess what? This one didn't stay private, and now I know this was said, and I'm pretty hurt by this, and I want a chance to address it. Here's the situation at hand. We don't know the situ- we don't know what the actual lie was about or why the loyalty is being called into question, so that's a little difficult for us to address. But I think you can open it up and say, I want to talk to you about this because I don't feel like it's fair, and I'm worried that you're going to question my loyalty as a friend because of what was said about me. It's funny. I was going to ask you, so how do you get people to join you in this conversation? I think what you just said makes a lot of sense. There's something that happened. I really want to talk to both of you about it. I I want a chance to explain, and I want to make sure, you know, these friendships are valuable to me, and that's been called into question now, and I want a chance to explain that. Will, Will you come talk to me? When you first started giving this answer, I started thinking to myself, boy, that's messy. That's so complicated. There's so much to keep track of when you've got two different people, particularly when there's some conflict. And as you were describing your approach, I started to think to myself, you know, this might be particularly helpful for the group cohesion. Right. That you might be able to repair or mitigate damage to individual relationships by talking to people one on one. But if you're willing to go through the process of talking to people collectively as a group, there's some real potential to start to have some group identity and trust that might totally. not have even been there before. And you start to really be that friend circle that that supports each other and has a, a, a well-understood common standard of behavior. And I think one of the things you need to stay away from in this is really harping on friend A for having told this lie or having done this. I think what you want to focus on is the fact that your loyalty has been called into question and that that's what you want to defend right now. You don't want to attack. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. And I, I think that will help the situation. And listen, we have all made mistakes and vented to friends about things. And that just happens within friend groups. It truly, truly does. There are things people do that tick us off. And we, you know, say something. And sometimes we don't say it to the person directly because we know that it's going to be a fleeting thought. It's going to be a passing feeling. And I think that's why Dan's first advice of, is this really calling your loyalty into question? Is this something you really have to address? Ask yourself that question first. And if it is, move forward and address it with everybody. And if it's not, then let it go. But I think that it is important to remember that what you're trying to do is keep your loyalty something that people have faith in, as opposed to tear down friend A for being, a, you know, someone who talks behind people's backs. That's not the goal of this conversation. Essentially doing to friend A what friend A did to you. Yeah, initially. only publicly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we truly hope that this helps falsely accused friend and that, that your friend group can move forward and be on this and have fun with each other and enjoy your friendship. Our next question is about bus PDA. Dear Dan and Lizzie, my husband and I are never shy about public displays of affection. Not over-the-top making out, but some light kissing, hugging, and hand-holding. We also take the bus together in the morning when heading to work. Is it a breach of etiquette to kiss or hold each other close on the public bus? I never thought twice about it until we were recently yelled at by someone on the same bus. This might just be me being defensive or justifying myself, but I feel that at least holding each other on the bus is useful, on top of being a nice way to get some more time together. Because we are much closer together, therefore making more space for other people on our very crowded bus. It also gives us more balance when said bus jerks and stops. Please let me know if I am just trying to justify what is actually bad behavior, or if I have your approval to keep snuggling up to my husband on our morning bus ride. Best, Amy. This is an interesting one, and I think it, it's so based on perspective, and clearly you had somebody on this bus that that's perspective was this is over the top, and so they spoke out about it because it was making them uncomfortable. But um, the, the, before I toss this straight back to Dan, I am going to say that I think the stretch in, in your justification is that, oh, by cuddling, we're making less room for more room for other people. Nobody wants to sit close to you if you're cuddling with somebody else. I don't I don't want to. You're probably actually taking up more room because people want to give you a barrier, you know, not a barrier, but extra space around you so that the PDA yep. isn't kind of like next to them. <laughs> No, I, that part of the question also jumped out at me. Yeah. It, it does seem like it's a, just a step too far. It does start to take on that tone of justification, which yeah. was the question, yeah. the way the question was but posed. But the other stuff, I mean, in general, bus PDA, what do you think? This is a, 
a legitimate gray area. And I, I love the way you started your answer with talking about other people's perspectives. Um, it'll vary different places. It'll vary depending on where you are. There are some places where public kissing is totally acceptable. I'm thinking about a summer I spent in France yeah, <laughs> where I was yeah. <laughs> I was really surprised. And clearly there was a type of a public display of affection that was culturally permitted. So it, it is something that will vary from place to place. It's a platinum rule standard where you want to be thinking about other people and what makes other people comfortable, not just yourself and what's your standard for what's comfortable. Well, and this is it's a, this is a regular bus route. This isn't like you're just a tourist on on one leg of a trip where you're never going to see these people again. Chances are these are probably people you ride the bus with regularly, right? A decent reason to take care with some of these relationships, to think about, uh, we talk in our business etiquette train, the 24-7 professional, but just that, that it matters how you present yourself in your community as well as anywhere. Um, so what would be your cues as to whether or not you're within what's an acceptable boundary or parameter? Well, the people around you. So somebody yelling at you is definitely a cue. <laughs> um, at the same time, that's just one person. How do other people react? How do other people respond? Um, are, are you getting that little disapproving look from people? That look of, I, I don't approve of what you're doing. I'm not going to say anything, but my face is going to harden a little bit. I'm going to get a little tough. That's a way that people will let you know. It's a signal that you can look for. Are people avoiding you completely? That's another signal that you can look for. As Lee says, is Sorry, there Dan's a, a laughing circle because I'm of... making all these faces at him right now, being like, <laughs> making the disapproving look faces at me in the studio. Um, is that circle around you? Are people uncomfortable getting into... Any personal space with you because what you're doing is so personal, it's making them feel uncomfortable. These are things to to look for and be aware of. To be very concrete and specific, I don't think it's inappropriate to hold hands with your spouse or significant other. I don't think it's inappropriate to put your arm around someone's shoulder when you're sitting next to them. I don't think it's uh, necessarily inappropriate to kiss someone goodbye um, mm-hmm. or hello, a peck on the like cheek or quick a quick kisses. kiss goodbye. Yeah. When that kiss starts to linger, when I start to, as someone who's near you, not know when that kiss is going to be over then that's starting to introduce a level of uncertainty that's going to make me a little bit uncomfortable. Um, Is an arm around the shoulder the same thing as really snuggling up with somebody and pressing your your, your body close to them? I don't think so. I think that's something a little bit different. I think there's a type of of holding each other on the bus that would start to be that lingering kiss type of hold. Yeah, like I would think a two-arm hold would start to feel a little much, whereas a one-arm over with a slight lean-in is okay, but... Even one arm, lean in, and head on the shoulder, it's like you're still safe but might be a little too far depending on, I don't know. Depends on the situation. And um, sometimes it's really nice to travel with your significant other because you can sleep. (laughs) You can fall asleep on that long flight or that that bus ride. When you're just tired in the morning, you can can lean lean up against them. Everything that you're talking about. So those are some of my thoughts about where safe territory is, but also ways to check yourself, to think about when you're maybe getting to the edge of that territory and to start watching. Watching others for cues. You know, one of the things that came up when you were talking was when you talked about that kiss lingering. It's amazing how fast, like how in three seconds, that lingering kiss can start to make someone question, how long is this? Are they going to start doing like open mouth kissing? Is this going to be making out or are they what? It's it's so fast. Um, we're used to in a, in a show that's timed, you know, to feeling the pressure of just how long five seconds can be or just how long 10 seconds can be to fill. Or fractions of seconds. Fractions of seconds. And you don't always think about the fact that a, a kiss for just more than a few seconds can start to call into question how long are they going to kiss for? And so it's it's kind of like you have to put your brain in that faster time frame of a little bit faster, a little bit lighter can always help the people around you feel a little 
more comfortable. A parting <laughs> thought that might help here, Amy, is we mentioned earlier in the question the idea of the platinum rule, thinking about other people and what's going to make other people comfortable. It can be really seductive when you're with someone that you care a lot about to have your focus really be on them and sort of within your relationship. And um, it's always a mark of good etiquette when someone's got real awareness of everybody that's in a situation and not letting that relationship with your significant other start to, to cloud that awareness of others. And I can see based on your question that that's not what's going on here, that you're really looking just for where to draw the line yourself. I think you're going to be in great shape. And I hope you can continue to enjoy this commute with your husband. Our next question is titled nightcap? Question mark. After dinner at a restaurant with friends, when we drop them off, they ask if we'd like to come in. Is it poor etiquette to make an excuse and say you can't? Kathleen. Hey, it's totally fine to decline this. Absolutely. Yeah, like we talk about it in the dating world. You really shouldn't feel the pressure to come in for a nightcap or do things after the date, whatever. You know, that that's your own business. But, but when it comes to friends, I don't think you should feel the pressure either. And a simple, hey, you know what? We're all set. We're really tired. We want to head home is fine. And you don't even have to have too much of an excuse other than, no, I think we, tonight we're going to call it a night. That's it. That's exactly what I was thinking. You don't, have, you don't need an excuse. No. You just say, no, it's okay. We're going home. We're going home. It's all right. <laughs> but we had a great time. Can't wait to do it again. Let them know that. I like that. Well, and before you get too worried about offending them with a no answer, remember, they might just be politely offering and, and not truly expecting, which is a whole different conversation. But I think I wouldn't worry too much. This isn't a high stakes ask that they're making. Kathleen, we hope this helps whether you decide to join them for that nightcap next time or not. Our next question is about de-escalating friendships. We got lots of friendship questions today. This I is like, like a friendship episode. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, I'm a woman in my early 30s, am married, and have a big, close-knit family and many close friends that I love and enjoy spending time with. I'm also a medical resident and regularly work 60 to 80-hour weeks, sometimes with strange hours. I've always made friends easily, and whenever I travel for work or do a weekend course, I typically come away with a new friend. These are fun, smart women who also have full lives, and I feel fortunate that they enjoy my company enough to want to share some of their limited free time with me. In recent years, however, I've felt overwhelmed by the number of these loose connections who strive to upgrade our casual relationship to a close friendship with regular phone calls and in-person friend dates. Too often I feel like my husband and immediate family are getting shortchanged of time I would rather spend with them, but I'm spending with these new friends whose repeated dinner requests I have a hard time saying no to. My not-so-subtle social cues, i.e. not taking my turn at initiating contacts, scheduling dinner dates for two months out, have largely been ignored. I've recently resorted to scheduling evening Skype dates to catch up with these connections when I get home from work after 8 p.m., this is exhausting and also feels kind of rude to me. I'm ashamed to be resorting to these desperate tactics to fit everyone in, but I also feel like I'm losing out on the depth of relationships I already have due to the breadth of my expanding social network. What do I do if a new friend wants more of my time than I want to share? How do I move friends back into the casual friends category after establishing a frequency of contact that I am unable to sustain? Sincerely, too friendly. I think a lot of people feel this pressure. I, I agree. And I really like how this question relates to the question we just answered, the nightcap question, because it they're both issues that deal with friends. But the nightcap question is the very specific moment of saying no when someone's trying to extend or attenuate a friend date or is inviting or offering you to continue to do something. This next question is more 
more broadly about saying no in friendships. And I think this one's almost a little harder because the last one, it's at least you've just had a dinner with them. So saying you can't extend the hangout time is like super reasonable. But this is like, hey, do you want to go to dinner? Hey, no. Oh, wow. You really feel how that's not going to work from an etiquette perspective. Absolutely. But it's the larger question of how you say no well. (laughs) And learning how to do it is such a skill. It's really important. I've read books about successful people, right? These self-help, these improvement books and how to manage yourself and your business well. And a theme that emerges again and again and again is that really successful people know how to say no well. They say no well because they stay focused on the things that really matter to them. And I hear our questioner here. I hear too friendly, knowing what's really important to her. She's looking for more time with her very close, immediate family, with her husband, with the friends that she already has and the relationships that are really important to her. So how do you say no well? Well, the first thing is that you start to de-escalate the importance of it in your own mind. You remind yourself that other people are responsible for their own happiness. And while it's an incredible kindness and it's good that people invite you to do things, it's also not the end of the world to say no. In fact, it's an important part of all of our lives. And we talk about this when we talk about RSVP etiquette, that when someone invites you to do something, you give them a response as soon as possible, whether it's a yes or a no. And if it's a maybe, you try to give them a time frame on your maybe and then get them that sure answer at some point. Hosts love hearing yes. Believe it or not, hosts also like hearing no because then they know and they know how to manage. And it's that question mark that's the most difficult thing. But the the issue that she's facing is what do you say in that moment? And we've talked about that before where you're talking with someone and it's so easy to say, yes, let's get together soon. And then that furthers it. And clearly, too friendly is someone that people like. She is someone that people want to hang out with. They're just those people that attract a lot of friends. They're they're approachable. They're friendly. They're magnetic, nice. Charismatic. They're magnetic. Exactly. <laughs> and so those are all such great things, but they're burdening her right now. Letting people know where your priorities lie right now is really important. Um, so when someone says that, like, oh, yeah, let's get together. Are you free next Friday or something? You could say, you know, I'll have to look further into the month or the summer or the week whatever is the comfortable duration of time for you. And then you can say something like, you know, Kamal and I are trying to get more family time or we're trying to prioritize more one-on-one time, something like that, just so that your friend can understand that your priorities are really with a much smaller circle or a much more intimate relationship in your life right now. To me, I'm, I'm assuming here, I'm putting a little myself into it, is that you're probably actually very interested in these people that you're meeting. And you do want to have friendships with them, but the type of friendship is going to be important to establish. Um, use technology to your advantage here. Can you send Facebook messages where you get longer chats with people? I know you you mentioned using Skype as a way to do it, but what if what if you said, you know, right now time is really a, a concern for me, but I am great with messaging, and I would love for us to catch up a lot that way. Um, my best friend down in New Orleans right now, my best friend and I, she is a nurse. She's a mom with two kids under the age of two. She is really busy, and it's very difficult for our schedules to coincide. I finally said, hey, let's start emailing each other. Let's email each other so that you can respond to everything, and I can respond to everything, and we can be in touch. And then when we get the chance for that long phone call or I get the chance to come visit you, we can make that happen. I love the idea of giving someone an idea of what the best way to contact you is. That's that's not a good no. That's a really good yes. That's the, I want to continue this relationship. I want to continue this friendship. Here's how. And that's a place where maybe social media 
media actually starts to play a role. I think email is one option. I think social media is another. We talked last week about the potential rewards that can be reaped from using social media well. This is one of those places where you can maintain lighter contacts with more people. And with tools like email or social media, you can really um, craft the way that you communicate there to, to be appropriate to whatever those relationships are, however you want them to be. This brings up another thought for me, which is the other positive thought here, that we've talked about how saying no well is important, how setting boundaries is important, how just pushing off that appointment can be important. You can also use good traditional etiquette here to your advantage. You can use the touchstone events in people's lives to stay connected and um, in, in their mind. So honor people's birthdays, anniversaries, special events like promotions or retirement, uh, holidays, births of children. These are all really good times to get in touch with people, offer congratulations, connect with people, um, offer support. Use those traditional etiquettes to maintain relationships that aren't going to be those closest, most personal friendships that people you spend a lot of time with, but people who you want to honor, want to honor the connections that you had with them and continue those relationships well. Too Friendly, we really hope that helps. And we hope that while you are able to moderate the amount of time that these friends take, that you're able to continue to be a gregarious and social person. And I'm sure that's going to be the case. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsors. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is about whether or not it's the host plans that are the priority during a visit. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Each year, we visit good friends of ours in a town about four hours' drive away from our house. Often, the time there is limited, and we spend a maximum of two nights there and pack everything we can do in a short space of time. Over the past year, I have become friendly with someone in a closed group on Facebook where we are both members. We chat almost daily, and on more than one occasion, she has said that if I was ever in the area, to pop in for a coffee. She lives in the same town as my friend who we see every year. The question is, how do I approach this with each of my friends? Do I suggest that I take off for a couple of hours on my host's time with us to visit the new friend? Or do I not mention to my Facebook friend that I am in the area and hope she doesn't find out? Is it best to just tell her that I'm in her town but have my time dedicated to seeing my friends and it would seem rude to pull away even for a couple hours? Between us and our friends, we have four children and a lot of activities involve them as well. Yours, Colette the Confused. Oh, Colette the Confused. Let's make this really simple. I think that your first priority is to the host. So I would ask your host, who you're going to be staying with, say, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. I just found out or, you know, I realized that a friend of mine that I've met and, and maintained a really great friendship with online actually lives in your town. I would love to take a moment on my next visit to you to say hi to her. Would that be OK with you? And if we've got a lot planned, I totally understand. But I'd love to to make the time available to her. I'd love to do that. It would be so cool to get to meet her in person and just go out for a coffee or something like that. Easy way to ask your host whether or not that's okay with them because you you are, you know, there to see them and, and that's part of it. But you also should feel confident that you can go and do a visit with this person who you've met online. Um, and I understand that you might not yet feel comfortable going and staying with the online friend. So this might be a soft way to get to a place where then you can alternate between visiting these two people in this town that they both live in. 
Um, but I think that if your host is okay with it, that's great. She then knows that you're going to be making time to go do something else. This happens a lot on trips. A lot. I mean, most of the time when people come visit us, my family I'm thinking of at our summer home or something like that, there are other people they want to go see or there are specific things they want to go do. And a host should always listen to and hopefully respect that. Um, but I think your first priority is to ask the host and make sure that that's okay with them. And then if it's not okay, let's just say that she did have everything planned out and it was, you know, super specific for this trip. You can always let your friend know, hey, I'm going to be coming to town, but I checked the schedule with my host and I don't have time to meet up with you. I'd love to set up a separate time to come visit or I'd love to catch you on my next visit and let my host know that I have intentions of seeing you so that we can plan for it and accommodate that time. I think that's the best way. Keep it honest. Don't try to do anything secretive or because, you know, that's when Murphy's Law is going to get you and you're going to walk into a cafe and your online friend's going to be there. Oh, why didn't you tell me? And that's where it gets awkward. Colette, we hope this leaves you just a little less confused and that you have a great time on your trip. To make a good impression, you must know what to do. Thank you for your questions. You can send updates and comments and all of that delicious feedback that you're going to send us for the 100th show to 802-866-0860. You can reach us using email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, or you can find us on Twitter with the hashtag awesomeetiquette. It's only common courtesy, Chuck. We love hearing your perspectives on the questions that we tackle here on the show. So our producer, Hans, is here with us to talk about some of the feedback that we've received recently. Hey, Hans. Hey, everybody. Yes, we have all sorts of great feedback. Uh, So starting with not a churchgoer. So this is somebody who wrote into us in response to the question that we had in episode 92. This was a, a woman, young woman who was writing in saying that her she and her husband would go home and then mom would always want them to go to church with them on Sunday. And they felt weird because the husband was definitely a non-believer. She felt like it was weird to go as somebody who is no longer a believer. And not churchgoer, a writer, uh, had an interesting perspective saying, I'm from a small town in Florida, where there are churches down every side road. Historically, church has not only been a religious entity, but also where you may receive a sense of community after a long week of not seeing anyone but family, and also a place to be seen and to show off how well-behaved and proud you are of your family. I just wanted to mention that maybe this listener's mother may still have that sensibility, and it's the showing to the community how proud of her family she is that makes her want her daughter and her family to go to church with her. I think that's actually a really great perspective. When I when I saw this one come in, I was like, you know, that's another another piece of it that we don't always think of. Absolutely. We also got feedback from Nancy. Uh, this is for a different question from episode 95, which is working with interpreters. Dan had a great set of tips for how to work with translators if maybe you have to uh, engage them to help communicate with somebody who's coming in in a professional setting. So Nancy said that she really appreciated those comments. Dan, well done. Uh, and then respectfully added a few more. And some of these are just really good to remember for meetings generally, but with interpreters specifically. So the first one was provide the interpreter with a written page of relevant information, such as names, roles of people involved, topics to be discussed, abbreviations likely to be used and what those abbreviations mean. Number two, check in advance if the translator wants anything, such as rest breaks, and if they need to be spelled at some point or if they have time limits, especially, and this is me being editorializing, 
simultaneous interpretation when somebody is um, listening to something in one language and at the same time speaking it in another language without the pauses. Mm. That's a really taxing thing on brains. And I think that that's a really good point that people can only do that for about a half hour or so before they need to be spelled. So, so make sure to check in on that. So number three that Nancy says is provide information such as the location of the restrooms, water fountain, coffee, if available. Fantastic point. Number four, thank them both privately, publicly, and profusely upon their arrival and departure for the wonderful service they provide. And I think that these are these are great, great additional tips. And the original question was about, I believe it was a someone teaching English as a foreign language. That's right. And so I feel like these are great for more of a business setting where you have not that this wasn't a business setting because this was a person's place of work, but it might be for a larger meeting involving a translator or interpreter as opposed to a one on one with with a parent, which is what that particular question was about. But I think that these are rock solid and some things that people just don't always think of when you think of bringing someone in. It's like, I no, I probably would have forgotten to think like you list out those abbreviations, things like that. I love that idea of writing all that information yeah. down, getting it to someone as early as possible. Could even happen before the event itself. Could happen a day or two earlier, early enough that they could look up some of these terms or concepts. I also really, really appreciate the reminder to thank both privately, publicly, and profusely. Nancy, uh, you know we're big fans of alliteration on this show. That that offer thanks privately, publicly, and profusely, I love. I will borrow it <laughs> moving forward. I think it's a, a really good reminder. Um, anytime you've worked with someone, and particularly when you've worked with someone as closely as you're likely to have worked with a translator, I think that's really important. Thank you for that reminder. And speaking of working with people, Michael had a piece of feedback for us from episode 98. So that was last week's episode uh, on the wedding photo favor question. So this was a person who wrote in saying that a coworker had not invited them to the wedding except last minute said, oh, our photographer fell through. Can you step in, please, and take our wedding photos for us? And they right. jumped in and they did everything they could and they took over a thousand photos and they submitted them the next day after doing all of this work and the person whose wedding it was texted them back and with disappointed language about how they didn't think the photography was done correctly. And he wouldn't let it go. Apparently it was it more than just the text message. It was like this guy wasn't getting over it. <laughs> yeah. So Michael really appreciated that. Michael is a professional wedding photographer and really says that he really appreciated the perspective that Lizzie and Dan, you guys brought to the question and had some additional points, which I thought were really interesting. So yeah. the first one was you get what you pay for. So Michael says that the hired photographer might not have been very professional themselves because a professional photographer should always have another shooter to call on or refer in this circumstance and should never leave a client in the position that they wouldn't have anybody only days before their wedding. It's very likely that the original photographer could have delivered equally subpar photos and the bride and groom could have been in the same position. Huh. And having had paid money for it. That's right. Yeah. So Michael says that he has heard versions of the story working with photographers doing similar favors for friends or family. So this is professional photographers whose friends and family say, hey, can you do can you do something for us? And being given the same grief simply because it didn't meet the expectations because wedding photographers are given a really tall order. Michael says that he's learned over the years to be comfortable with politely declining situations like this, which goes back to Dan, what you're saying about saying no well. Michael says he agrees with Lizzie's sentiment that he always wants to help it feels great to be able to assist and save the day. But in this case, if one is not a professional, you should really consider carefully what may happen if things go sideways, especially when it involves friends, families, 
or coworkers. The last and very sweet point that Michael wanted to make was that Michael thinks that the person who took the photos should absolutely be given an etiquette salute. And I agree with that. So this question asker did an incredible favor for his colleague only to be thanked, which is in quotes, with an incredible level of grief. Despite that, the question asker still considered the feelings of the offending party and reached out to Lizzie and Dan for advice on how to move forward. That person deserves a medal. I love it. Here, here. We agree. And we really appreciate that feedback, Michael. That definitely expands my thinking a little bit about a photographer's perspective at the wedding. Right? And I want to extend that big thanks to Nancy and Not a Churchgoer for helping us out with our feedback section today. It's time for the Postscript segment of our show where we explore the exciting nuance of a single piece of etiquette. And I fully admit that I am in the dark on this one. What the heck is Pokemon Go? Why does everybody know but me? Well, okay, so confessional. Okay. I have an old iPhone and I can't get Pokemon Go on my phone. Oh, okay. So I haven't been playing it myself, okay. but I can tell you a little bit okay, what so I do game. know about it. I know it. this now. It's, it's a game. It's a game. Okay. And it's a game that you play on your smartphone. Okay. And there are little Pokemons, these okay. little imaginary characters that exist overlaid in the real world, but you only see them through your phone. And you see them through the camera feature on your phone. Who so, what? So you play this game. By walking around, going to actual places in the real world, and when you look through the camera in your phone, you see little characters, little animated characters, these Pokemon. And So there is a way to see the things that aren't really there. So this is an exciting moment for the gaming community because this is a, a new version of something called an MMO, a massive multiplayer so Dan, online game. Sorry, this is Hans. Um, sorry, mm-hmm. I was just catching a Charizard, but... Um, I, I heard you say something about an MMO. Is this re- is Pokemon Go really an MMO? Well, okay, so um, there is some debate, exactly. And, and it's not the way people typically think of an MMO. So massive multiplayer online games are very popular. And they're games where people meet in virtual spaces. And huge numbers of people play these games. They're, imagine a, a video game fan who's sitting in China somewhere, entering a space and going on a quest with a group of friends from Brazil and the United States and the Soviet Union. Totally. Pokemon Go is a little different because instead of meeting in a created online virtual world, you're meeting in the real world with a virtual world layered on top of it. But they call them massive multiplayer because hundreds of thousands, millions of people play these games sometimes together. So you've got a, a moment in the world of massive multiplayer online gaming where the game world that people are playing in is a version of the real world. Wait a second. Thousands of people walking around and through their smartphones, seeing things that aren't really there. Sounds like a potential etiquette conundrum, doesn't it? I do, uh, I'm still wrapping my brain around it. You guys keep giving tips. How how do we operate in this world? What is, is there etiquette? What What's going on? There absolutely is. Okay. So what are some tips that are emerging right off the bat? Well, the first one is a classic etiquette tip, which is that safety trumps etiquette. That as as exciting as this gaming environment is, that it's really important that the game environment doesn't take your awareness out of the real world that we're all still sharing together. So, some of the first places... I like having all these... Sorry. 
I, I, you should see my cousin Lizzie. She's sitting here reckoning with us. I can see that she's also thinking to herself, I've got to get this game on my phone. It sounds no. like fun. So wait, the, but the, the idea is that like don't stop in the middle of the crosswalk to, to look at the look at the trash can through your cell phone. Instead, make yes. it all the way to the corner. Exactly. <laughs> Safety first. I mean, yep. no, Dan's like dead serious right now, and I'm just catching up. Okay. When you're walking around, absolutely, but even a more obvious place, yeah. don't play while you're driving. You know not to text while you're driving. You know not to take a phone call where you're using your phone with your hands while you're driving. Don't play Pokemon Go while you're driving. Think about the environments that you're in. Be really careful. Be careful about walking around, but also be careful about borders and boundaries. There's a a question about trespass that's come up. If that Pokemon that you're hunting for or looking for is in someone else's backyard, that doesn't mean you have permission to enter their property to go find it. And then the other thing to think about as far as getting absorbed in the game and having it take you somewhere is that you want to be careful about places where people are really expected not to be using a smartphone to begin with for other reasons or purposes. So if you're entering a, a religious service or a place of worship, you Do may... they put Pokemons in churches or, or like other places of worship for people to go find? They have appeared that seems all, wrong. all kinds of places really? that are borderline, that are gray area. Ooh. So you want to be careful. Um, Pokemon will appear in offices. You want to be careful about playing too much at work or using your so taking your smartphone out in a meeting. There is an example that's I, famous of someone catching a Pokemon during his wife's labor. What? Yes. But, but so you could have literally like instead of work creep, it's Pokemon creep? It can happen. Ah. There are some other courtesies that are starting to emerge around playing this game. One is that you play hard, but that you play fair. That when you're Wait, how do you play Pokemon Go hard? What's playing hard like? Well, it's okay if the, the Pokemon you're looking for emerges on the other side of the park that you run over to it to be the first one to capture you, it. Oh, so this is like a you you see it first, you get more points kind of a thing? And you just Maybe? get rare ones. You get rare oh wow. <laughs> um at the same time, it's not okay to push people out of the way. It's not okay to and this is a big one apparently use a drone <gasps> to go capture Pokemon that you're really meant to that. actually go yourself and do it. Okay. Yeah, so that you play hard, but you play fair. Can you ask someone to move out of the way so that you can see the thing that isn't really there, but you can only see it through your phone? I mean, can you do that? Like, excuse me, sir, could you step out of the way? My Pokemon is right behind you. Is where you start to get into that territory of interacting well. Okay. (laughs) And 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 I think what you just said makes a lot of sense. You excuse me, pardon me, magic words, open that etiquette door, explaining the context. they were talking about the quizzical look might encourage them to go a little further oh i'm playing this absolutely silly game on my phone and there's believe it or not a little creature that i could see this is drawing me into another piece of advice which is that when you're a new user of new technology that you're a bit of an ambassador you're a bit of a brand ambassador so when you're out there playing this game know that you're not just representing yourself but you're representing the entire pokemon go community and that as that kind of brand ambassador you have to be prepared to encounter a fellow fanatic someone else who's waiting for the appearance of the character <laughs> the character that you've been waiting for but that there also might be someone else who's in that park uh, for a picnic or a birthday party that's something they been playing that has nothing to do with what you're doing and also really matters to them. And that when you ask them this, you you almost want to have your like Pokemon Go sample script for how to deal with someone who has no clue what you're about to ask them to move out of the way so that you can access. And then on top of it, you might have to entertain them, then getting curious about this game mm-hmm. that you're playing and answer a few questions. There might be a little give and take.
take there, right? Be prepared with a simple explanation and be prepared for others' curiosity. Talk about developing new etiquette on the go. Wow. Uh, another okay. courtesy. So it's another potential rudeness that emerges that you're you're playing with a smartphone in your hand. You oftentimes are using the camera feature of the phone. So you're looking through the screen. It can really appear to other people that you're taking pictures. So when you're walking around looking through the phone and sometimes people do, sometimes people take a picture of the Pokemon they're looking for in the environment that they find it in to capture the moment, to share with friends and family. It can be funny. It can be cute. But the courtesy is both to be careful about the appearance of taking pictures, but also to be really careful taking pictures. That if you are taking pictures of your Pokemon, that you don't reveal information about other people when you're doing it. And that you're as careful with how you post pictures of other people when you're posting your Pokemon pictures as you are when you're sharing your vacation pictures. So will the next thing be like... Um, ways to do like Pokemon Go selfies and photo bombs. I mean, like, will people try to photo bomb someone's Pokemon Go capturing of a character? Will that become a thing? Like, I don't know. That's I'm just a good my brain is just now going. I had no <laughs> idea this existed. There was a slight hint of it last week, and I'm like, wait, what? I think we need to I'm get so you this game. Of, I think I'm you so would enjoy out of this. Touch, man. Wow. Um, Hans. I think that I might have intuited somewhere along the way that you're a player of this game. Would you like to jump in here and, and, and offer uh, an expansion or elaboration? Yeah, on hang on a second. I, I just gotta I just gotta finish catching. Hang on. Who did you catch? Can you send me a picture of it? I wanna see. Awesome. Just caught a Rhyhorn. Awesome. Sorry, what was the question? What? No. Focus, <laughs> oh, Hans, focus. No Pokemon at work, Hans. Oh, right, right. Well, see, here's the thing. There are, in the office building next to me, three separate Pokestops, which are the places in the world that you can walk to uh, where you can get little special items. It's generally where Pokemon tend to congregate. And people put lures on them, which draw more Pokemon to them. And if you get a couple of those Pokemon stops in a concentrated area and they all have lures... Lots and lots and lots of Pokemon end up coming to them. The office building next to us is just like that. And so I can stand in the studio here and Pokemon just keep coming up. There are other places, though, parks, for example, where these phenomenons happen. There's locations that tend to be better for Pokemon than other places. And people have identified those places. And sometimes people are camping out for hours. Mm and hours mm -hmm. and hours just getting more and more of them coming through. And you have large groups of people who want to be at these places. So you ha sometimes have crowds camping out for long periods of time in places that are not necessarily meant for them. Whoa. So oh, I would say that another thing to add in is if you think you're going to be at a place for a long time, don't leave trash there. Don't trample things that are clearly not supposed to be trampled. Find an actual bathroom if you have to stay but you need to go somewhere. Just be respectful of the place that's around. And people, because they're going and doing this at all hours, there's people wandering through neighborhoods in the middle of the night. They're not always necessarily being respectful of the people who are actually living in those areas and trying to sleep and rest and have an evening. And so just be aware of your surroundings, I think, is is another really important point. I, I've heard about an emerging courtesy that if you get drawn into a business for the purpose of Pokemon, that it's a, a, a courtesy to patronize that business. So some businesses are really embracing oh, wow. it. I think that you have businesses who are saying, hey, this is a Pokemon stop. We get a lot of really good Pokemon and are trying to run with it as a marketing tool. Come sit We'll put a lure on the Pokestop and you can sit here and, you know, have a coffee or something. And others 
don't really like the attention because what you're mm. saying is people come, they walk up to the front door, maybe they make a bad customer experience for somebody who's actually a paying customer by getting in the way, but then don't actually buy anything. So yes, I think there is, if you're going to actually enter into a store, just be aware that it's it's a business, not just a place where Pokemon appear. This is so much bigger, more detailed, in some ways from an etiquette perspective and a safety perspective, more problematic than I would have expected. But also, I'm just, I'm I'm like floored right now by how engaged people are with this, how in-depth it is, how specific it is, how... It's really it's, exciting I mean, new territory. It's a big thing. And Nintendo, the producer of the game, totally. have been hurrying to put in place community managers okay. who are going to help the, the community that plays this game navigate some of the issues that are starting to arise as wow. the real world and this virtual world are starting to impact each other in more and more significant ways. So one last point that I would make, which is a little bit more of a touchy subject, mm. I think, but is important, I think, to mention um, there's an article that I read by a man named Omari Akil who wrote about uh, the experience of being a black man playing Pokemon Go and that there are certain populations and that could be um, minorities moving into a certain area or disabled um, or otherwise abled people not necessarily having access to places. Oh. There are populations of people who can't play the game in a way where they're free to go anywhere and do anything. There's also people who um, might be considered suspicious if they wander into a particular neighborhood. And I think just being careful with understanding that if people are in your neighborhood, enjoying the game, trying to participate, that they're not necessarily up to bad things. They're not necessarily there to ruin your neighborhood experience. So when they're creeping are just around your backyard with their camera phone out, you don't have to worry about it? Well, ideally, people shouldn't be doing exactly that. Yeah. But, you know, because there are a lot of benefits that have happened. I've also read uh, really lovely stories. There was a woman who had an autistic child uh, who suddenly brightened up and was making social connections with people oh, in awesome. a way that they would not otherwise have been able to do because of the where they were on the autism spectrum. And this mother was just could not believe how much good it was doing for her child to be able to go places and want to break the regular routine as an autistic child to interact with other people. It was unheard of behavior, and it was all thanks to Pokemon Go. So there's a lot of things happening in this game. This really is just the beginning. And I want to leave everyone with the, the final piece of advice, which is have fun. This is brave new territory, and hopefully it's going to be a place that we can all enjoy for years to come. I want to be week we like to end with a listener salute to good etiquette and today we have Catherine who has a salute for a calm mom. Hi Lizzie and Dan my name is Catherine and I'm a student 
I currently live in the Seattle area. And for the summer, I actually have worked at a country club in the Seattle area and I, as a server at a pool outdoors. This actually happened towards the beginning of the summer, right when I started working. We got a call on the phone about there being some sort of party going on. We didn't really know what was going on. But then we checked this binder, and lo and behold, there was this catering page for this party that was supposed to be happening. So the catering sheet said, tables on, like, a specific side of the pool, and it said, we'll be ordering off menu. So I thought, oh, this will be pretty easy. All we need to do is go reserve some tables on this specific side of the pool. They'll show up, and they'll order off of the catering menu. But that's not what happened. So the lady who was planning this child's birthday party for her daughter, she showed up, and what we had going on was not what she had planned on going on. There's kind of like a prime location at our pool of tables, and those were the specific tables that she had wanted, but there were already people sitting at those, and those weren't the ones that we had reserved for her. What we ended up doing was having the people who were sitting at those tables move, and they very graciously moved. So then all the kids show up, and she's kind of pulling out favors. And I walk up, and I say, oh, is there anything I can get you right now? Uh, she says, when will the food be out? And I, I go, oh, per my instructions, you'll be ordering off of the menu today. Do I have that right? And she just kind of, her face kind of just like fell. And she was like, no, I, I talked with the catering manager multiple times. We were supposed to have food out here at a specific time and we were supposed to have these tables and she I could just see like internally she was very frustrated she was kind of talking the situation out to herself kind of pulling me in as to what had been going on but she was not yelling at me she was not saying I'm so mad at you she was just kind of like well like I really had put a lot of thought into this and we really planned this out but this is not what I expected it to be going like I expected you know x y and z Thankfully, our manager was there that day, and he was able to come out, and he actually was able to do the catering order, and then instead of just doing ice cream bars, we ended up doing, like, a Sunday bar, and everything actually turned out great for her party. She was actually really happy with how everything went, and at the end of the day, she actually gave me a double high five to kind of say that she was very happy with how things were going. To this woman, I would salute her for just keeping her calm in addressing me, even though the situation was clearly very frustrating and I would be very frustrated if I was her. It's such a good example for me and probably for all the kids that were watching her go through this situation that she was very, very frustrated. Things were not going her way, but she still kept her cool in a situation where I definitely think I would have lost a little bit. I think Catherine's salute is such a great one because it is so hard when something you've paid for, something that, you know, you're expecting to go really well doesn't go the way you thought it was. And to to really constructively give your criticism or disappointment, I think, is really important because it's fair to be giving it in the first place. But it's also fair to be recognizing how the situation came about, who really has control over things. I think that that's someone who really took the time to do that first step in our five step process of think about who's involved and how are they affected. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your salute with all of us. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. 
And thank you for listening. Thanks to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, salute, feedback, or thoughts for our 100th show to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. On phone, you can reach us at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Hans Buto. 